And you're back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM. Have we got another clue for our Quizmon? This one's a little obscure. Yes, it is a little obscure, and that's why I have picked out a really beautiful prize. Uh, so this is um this is where one of the oh you've got to be joking what where did you get that from someone how did that end up in the prize box someone donated it we've had some really nice listeners who have actually donated some stuff um that we can give away as prizes which we are very grateful for um I, I mentioned this last week we had some some new prizes and we have some people who donated like um secondhand prizes which is fine because some of the stuff that they've donated is like out of yeah like rarities. really really hard high quality hardcover hard to find hard to find yeah. Uh, beautiful material. books. This is a beautiful book. It's uh, a hard print. It's a huge book, actually. It's uh, called Sons and Daughters of God uh, by E.G. White. And it is just, oh, it's an amazing book. It's a it's a devotional book. I just finished reading that book. Oh, really? It's really nice. I actually was tempted to keep it. <laughs> but I work on a Christian radio station, so I felt that was bad to steal from the Christian radio yeah, station probably. price box. <laughs> Uh, but yes, yeah, it's a beautiful volume. Um, has a nice knock to it when you tap on the cover. Do you ever like? No, do, I usually do just smell books. Yeah, smell and tap. That's the two. I just smell. I never. Yeah, I've never tapped good. one in my life. Oh, it smells really good. It has that new book smell. But it's a devotional, so every page uh, it, uh, goes fire uh, one day of the year. So it has it does have the days of the year written on it, not, not a year, so it doesn't really matter which year you read it. But there's like, you know, January through to December. So Sons and Daughters of God by E.G. White, beautiful hardcover, um, quite a large book. I wonder if this is large print. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's big. It's beautiful. And it's the prize today. All right, so give us a clue so that we can win this amazing prize. Okay, clue number four. What book am I? This book is about a runaway slave who was born again and is not returning to his master. And if you've been paying attention recently to our Bible studies, you would know exactly what book this is and because we talked about that story at length. We did indeed. Yeah, we were having a bit of a laugh because you pronounced one of the characters' names really incorrectly as a kid. <laughs> and someone called up and corrected us, someone who was Greek. Mm. Clues coming out mm-hmm. thick and fast here. If you know the answer, give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. Pouring them out. Okay, so we are back with Encounter with God, which means that we are in the book of Revelation and particularly studying the letter to the church in Thyatira. Okay, so Thyatira, we've got to remember the seven churches. Uh, this is the first of the seven prophecy, the, the seven, seven, seven prophecies of uh, Revelation. So you've got seven churches followed by seven uh, seals, followed by seven trumpets. Mm-hmm. And here we are in the midst of these churches. These churches were all a literal letter to a literal church, literally at that time. They are also symbolic of seven different time periods down through history. And, of course, they have a spiritual lesson for each one of us. And so here we have the letter to the church in Thyatira. And we were noticing on Friday when we finished off our study that God's complaint against this church. So he says some good things about this church. This is the only one that is commended for improving. So this is one that's going to improve. But his complaint is that Jezebel is living in the church. And so we started to do a bit of research to find out some things about Jezebel. Mon, yeah, help just, us out here. What do we know about Jezebel? We discovered that she was a, a type, but yeah, she was a um, a really contentious, horrible woman. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. She was a... Woman. Woman, and a woman in Bible prophecy. Represents a church. A church, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. And who was she married to? Uh, she was married to King Herod, so... and no. he, pss, what, King... 
Ahab. Oh, sorry. That's what I meant. It's just not what it came out. <laughs> I actually always get those two kings mixed up all the time, Herod and Ahab. But yeah, she was married to King Ahab, so, you know, king, church, church, church state. And state. So he was the head of state. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. She was, was the head of religion because the Bible says that when, and you'll find this in First Kings chapter 16, the end of the chapter, the Bible says that Ahab, after he married Jezebel, went and served Jezebel's God. Yeah. And so up until that point, Ahab had been serving Yahweh. Yes, yeah. he had a very, very um, unique way of serving a, uh, Yahweh. He served Yahweh in the form of a golden calf, but that's mm-hmm. another story. story. Yeah. So he was he was an idolater. He just went to a extra low level of idolatry. And as with most relationships of church and state, it's the church that wears the pants and Jezebel wore the pants in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And she led the state, which she led her husband astray even further, like you just mentioned. And um, what we also know about her is that she uh, watched her son being sh- uh, shot through the heart by an archer. Mm-hmm. Jehu. Yep. And uh, and then tried to seduce Jehu, but he... Yeah, within within... Hours, what, 15, yeah. 20 minutes yeah. of that happening? She's just seen her son and she's going to try and seduce the guy because that is how she had controlled the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. That's how she controlled the state, through her sexuality, and she's, this is the only thing that she knew. And uh, and then I, I can't remember how she came off the window. Or not. She was shoved or pushed or what? She was pushed. Yeah, she was pushed off a windowsill and fell to the ground and then was absolutely just desolated by the dogs. She got munched by the dogs. There was nothing left. Absolutely. And then if we notice in... Uh, and the parallels between her and uh, and the situation of church and state is remarkable. Remarkable. Oh, it is indeed. Let me read you this one as a parallel, uh, as a union of church and state. This is uh, 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25. The Bible says, But there was none like Ahab who sold himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife... Stirred up. Yeah, stirred up. That's it. Yep. She was a stirrer. Ah, she, she was, was a stirrer. She was. Okay, so let's let's make a bit of a run-through of what we know. Oh, uh, we, we, we mentioned Athaliah. Oh, yeah, Athaliah is her daughter. That's right. Okay, so let's do a bit of a, bit of a run-through of what we know about Jezebel so far because we need to ask ourselves the question, why is it that Jezebel is mentioned in this particular prophecy? So, number one, she was a woman. Okay, a woman in Bible prophecy symbolizes a church. Number two, she was a queen. Number three, the Bible says she was a prostitute. Number four, the Bible says that she controlled Ahab, she controlled the state. Uh, number five, we find in Revelation chapter two that she taught fornication. She teaches fornication. Uh, we found that she was a persecutor, how she had destri- tried to destroy the knowledge of God from the nation of Israel. Uh, then we find that she was quite attached to her gold and jewels and costly array. Mm-hmm. Um, she had daughters and she ended with total annihilation. The question we now have to ask ourselves is whereabouts in the Bible do we find Jezebel's parallel? Let's go to Revelation 17. And let's see if we can find Jezebel's parallel here in Revelation 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever. (laughs) Enjoy it while you can. I think I'm going to enjoy it for a long time, to be honest. I always get to the Bible verse before you do. (laughs) 
That's because that's because I'm multitasking. Excuses. All right. Seventeen verse one. One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. We have here the great harlot of Revelation chapter 17, and we have noted nine things about Jezebel so far. She's a woman, she's a queen, she's a harlot, she controls the state, she teaches fornication, she is a persecutor, um, she is associated with gold and jewels and dressing herself up, she has daughters and she faces total annihilation. Let's now talk about this particular woman right here. We find that she is a woman, and the Bible says that she is the great prostitute um, that uh, that that sits on many waters. Okay, verse 2, please. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, Ooh. and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. Okay, so was Jezebel an immoral person? Oh, absolutely. And the Bible says that Jezebel taught fornication. That mm-hmm. was actually part of the religion of Baal. Okay. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. yeah. I forgot to mention that she, she, she brutally persecuted all the prophets, round them up and killed them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. forgot about that. Yep. Obadiah saved um, a cave of them. A hundred of them, yeah, mm-hmm. in, a, in, in two caves. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so verse three. Why don't you read for us verse three? So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that has seven heads and ten horns, and blasphemies against God were written all over it. Okay, so putting aside the seven heads and the ten horns for a study for another day, we find here that the woman uh, is sitting on the beast. Now, when you are sitting on a horse, who is the one who is controlled? When you're sitting on an animal, who is the one who is in control? Well, hopefully you. Hopefully yeah, you. That's yeah. the way it's supposed yeah, to work, exactly, right? That's yeah. the whole, that's the, that's the purpose, that's the concept, that's, that's why the you're idea. Up there. Mm-hmm. All right. So you've got a woman sitting on an animal. We've got to find out what this means. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So you've got a woman who is sitting on an animal. What does a woman symbolize again? A uh, church. And a beast symbolizes? A nation. A nation. Mm-hmm. And so which one is in control? The church. The church. So Aye. you've got a union okay. of church mm-hmm. and state with the church in control. Uh, Another right? symbolization of the church and state. That's, 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 mm-hmm. that's Jezebel right there. Yeah. Okay. Verse 4. Let me ask whether this sounds anything like Jezebel. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. Okay, goblet aside, what is Jezebel known for on the last day of her life? Wearing uh, purple... Decking herself out. Yeah, decking herself out. Because she's trying to seduce... Jehu, yeah. Jehu, absolutely. Okay, and verse 6. Uh, verse 6 says, I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. All right. So when you work your way through Revelation chapter 17, here's what you find. You have find a woman. She is a queen. She is a prostitute. She controls the state. She teaches fornication. She is a persecutor. She is associated with gold and jewels. Oh, did we miss... Do we miss? Uh, oh, we missed verse five. How do we miss verse five? 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Verse five. A mysterious name was written on her forehead. Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities Ooh, the in what? the world. Mother, the of, mother, mother of, all of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. So she has daughters. Yeah, she has daughters. Well, she has some sort of offspring, yeah. Yes. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the implication here in the Bible is that these are daughters. I guess it says mothers of prostitutes and prostitutes are yeah. usually women. Usually. Yeah. Okay, and uh, let's go down to one more thing, and this is down towards the end of the chapter, and let's read verse uh, 16, please. Verse 16 says, The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, eat her flesh, and burn her remains with fire. Wow, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Really volatile. Okay, so let's run through Jezebel. Jezebel was a woman. Jezebel Uh was a queen. Jezebel was a harlot. Jezebel controlled the state. Jezebel taught fornication. Jezebel was a persecutor. Jezebel was associated with gold and jewels and decking herself out. She had daughters and she faced total annihilation. Let's talk about the great harlot. She is a woman. She is a queen. The Bible says that she is a harlot. She controls the state. She teaches fornication. She is a persecutor. She decks herself out with gold and jewels, etc. She has daughters and she faces total annihilation. Jezebel is a type of... Of the Antichrist at the end at the end of time and in the Dark Ages. Wow, in the Dark Ages as well. Dark Ages as well. Okay, because the time period that we're talking about begins in the year five thirty eight. Okay, so the the time period of uh, Pergamos goes from uh, three thirteen to five thirty eight. Let's look, talk about this one now in five thirty eight, and let's um, review what it was that happened in five thirty eight. Because, as we said the other day, you had this situation in the Roman Empire where the capital of the empire had been moved from the city of Rome to the city of Constantinople. Constantine did that. That left a power vacuum in the west where Rome was. And Rome had been the prize that everybody had wanted for so many centuries because it had ruled the world, the greatest empire the world had ever seen to that point. Now there was a power vacuum there. Now no longer was anyone ruling there. And so Rome fell into a lot of trouble and began to disintegrate. Justinian recognizes what is taking place and knows that he needs to do something to stabilize the situation. He also recognizes that the bishops around the world are all in a dispute as to who is the the primary bishop. And so he solves two problem in two problems with one decree where he decrees that the bishop of Rome is number 1 and he gives the bishop of Rome political power thereby creating a western roman empire which later became known as the holy roman empire. Uh, this was a perfect union of church and state that Justinian created by his decree in the year 533. However, uh, the Ostrogoths were ruling in Rome. They had placed their bishop in power, and it wasn't until he was able to drive the Ostrogoths from the city of Rome and place his bishop in power take and, and execute the uh, Ostrogoth bishop that Justinian's decree was actually able to come into effect. And so that decree came into effect in the year 538. It was made in 533, came into effect in 538, and political power was a central part of the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, for the next 1,260 years until 
Exactly 1260 years later, in 1793, the French government decreed the end of the papal government, which came into effect in 1798, right on time when Napoleon took the Pope prisoner, abolished the papal government, proclaimed that there would never be another Pope, the Pope died in exile, and abolished uh, the political power of of the papacy. So the political power begins in 538, ends in the year 1798. Which is basically the dogs eating Jezebel. Similar. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, just annihilated. It's not the total annihilation, though. The Bible describes it as a deadly or a fatal wound. This was a wound okay. from which nobody in the world expected that, um, that the Vatican would recover from. But it has recovered in the most uh, remarkable way. And the final fulfillment of that total annihilation takes place, obviously, at the end of time, when all human institutions come to an end, when Jesus comes back. It's back and bigger than ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's some pretty serious stuff that the Bible is talking about when it speaks about Jezebel. Jezebel is a type of the persecuting church of the Dark Ages. It's as simple as that. And uh, this is a period in which Christianity as a whole was massively corrupted. And we see the results of that corruption coming through to this day. You know, we have medieval practices like the confession, you know, auricular confession and celibacy of the priesthood that have been truly exposed for what they are by the Royal Commission into child sex abuse here in Australia, and yet they still persist. And they still exist. And they had the opportunity to, to make these corruptions because they were keeping the people in the dark, weren't they? Yeah, and this was, a, this, was a, this was a period in which it was actually illegal on pain of death. Cop this. It was illegal on pain of death to learn the Greek language. You know why? Why? New Testament was written in Greek. Oh. And most of the copies of the New Testament that were available were in Greek. So they're like, okay, we, just, we, can't, um, we can't get rid of all these copies of the Bible, so we'll just, we'll just make it illegal to... Uh, to uh, learn the Greek language. And that way people have no idea what's written in the Bible, so they just hear from the... Illegal on pain of death, I might add. Yeah, that's, that's, that's intense. Mm-hmm. So that they just go to church, and whenever they hear from up the front, from the pulpit, they have to sort of accept as gospel because they don't know, because they can't know, they're not allowed to know. Yeah, that's one way to hoodwink an entire... Now, thankfully, theater. that policy has changed. Yeah, absolutely. And Roman Catholics are encouraged to read their Bibles these days. Um, and I think that uh, all of us need to read our Bibles a whole lot more than what we do. Yeah, just in case we ever go back there. But there are other medieval practices, such as um, celibacy and confession, that have not changed. Mm. Um, These are superstitious practices. They are not founded in Scripture, and they do not come from God, and they have created massive, massive problems here in Australian society. And so they need to, you know, they need to disappear. They need to yeah, go away. They're detrimental to society. Yeah. All right. So let's flick over to back over to Revelation chapter two, where we were before, and let's continue. <laughs> Man, it looks um, could kill. I'd be so dead right now. <laughs> let's continue with this letter to the church in Thyatira. By the way, remember how the Bible said that this church would improve. Yes. Okay, so if you look at this long history of the Dark Ages, what you find is there is a massive improvement that takes place. And that improvement takes place in the 16th century, begins with Martin Luther, and it's called the Great Protestant uh, Reformation. 
The word Protestant comes from the word protest and simply means to protest against Rome. So if you are a Protestant Christian today and you've often wondered what does it mean to be a Protestant Christian, that's what it actually means. It means that you protest against Rome. And uh, yeah, I think that that's something that we need to do because we need call to call we need to call Rome to change. You know, Francis needs to step up and to make some dramatic uh, changes uh, within his church to bring it in line with Scripture. Anyway, more about that in just a moment. We're going to move on. This is Casting Crowns. Tis so sweet. so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how Trust him, how I've proved you more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him. Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that He is with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove That was Casting Crowns with Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Has anybody had a crack at the quiz yet? 
Uh, I'm have. about to give the last did clue they get, away. Did they get it right? I'm oh. about to give the last clue away, actually, Lyle. So there's a, the, the prize is still out there. The prize is still out there. Uh, this is this is. I'm, I'm going to have a real good fun time <laughs> giving this clue. <laughs> you ready, Lyle? You ready? All right, bring it Paul on. Paul wrote this book about Onisimus. See how well I pronounced ah, that? Ooh, See how well I pronounced yes. that? Paul Onisimus. wrote this book about Onisimus. It's not Onesimus, as Lyle might leave it to believe. It's Onisimus. Yeah, well. Yes. Greek, <laughs> Greek people just have it wrong. What can I say? Give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM, if you'd like to win the prize, which is the beautiful Daughters of God. Um, almost, I almost said cookbook. It's not a cookbook. <laughs> it's a beautiful it's a volume. Devo- yes, yeah, a little devotional volume. So, yeah, give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. Okay, so we're going to go back to the story of Jezebel because Jezebel is central to the history of the church in Thyatira and this Thyatira time period. Jezebel, in her day, was in conflict with somebody. Who was Jezebel in conflict with? Elijah. Elijah. And basically all the prophets of God. Let's go to the last book of the Old Testament and let's find out whether Jezebel at the end of time is also in conflict with somebody. By the way, I'm already there, Mon. I haven't even started turning because I'm, yeah, I'm playing with my Instagram, uh-huh. posting right. up these clues. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't count well. But I just want to say Jezebel was a contentious woman. She was at odds with a lot of people. She was indeed, but she yeah. had one great enemy. Um, who is specifically described as her enemy. And uh, I love the story of Naboth's vineyard. You've ever read yes, this, you know? that's what I was thinking and, about. Uh, and, and Ahab turns up there and he's, he's enjoying his new vineyard that he's taken because he killed Naboth, the owner of the vineyard, because Jezebel, his wife, told him to do so. Terrible and he story. turns up there and he's walking through his vineyard and who should he come across but standing there in the vineyard is none other than Elijah. He's like, what are you doing here? Oh, my enemy, he says. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> By the way, you can't gloat about getting to the book first because you don't actually tell me where to turn. You just said we're going to the Old Testament. I said the last book of the Old Testament. You know exactly where oh, to turn. The last book. Sorry, of the I just thought you said Old Testament. I'm eating my words there. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, chapter four. Chapter four, verse... Five and six. Ooh, let's find out about the last two, two verses, verses of, the, of the, Old, the Old Testament mm-hmm. and let's find out if Jezebel at the end of time also has conflict with Elijah. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Thank you. Wow. Okay, so... Is Jezebel at the end of time also in conflict with Elijah? Yeah, I mean, this the, the, in the in terms of the symbolism, I don't think uh, Jezebel is going to be like popping up back from the dead and rolling around. Newcastle. No, and neither is Elijah. <laughs> That's right, because the prophet uh, Malachi here does not intend uh, to portray a reincarnation of Elijah, but rather somebody that would come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. And Gabriel makes that very, very clear because Gabriel takes this prophecy and applies it to John the Baptist. Let's go over to the book of Luke. And, but there's a school of people who actually believe that Elijah is going to be coming back at the end of time, isn't there? Yes, and that's why we're going Did to you? the book of Luke. Yep, go. Cool. We need to make this clear. Yep. This is not a reincarnation. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17 says, And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. 
Okay, so basically what happens is that um, Gabriel comes along and he quotes directly Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, mm-hmm. word for word, and applies it to John the Baptist and says that John the Baptist, no, he's not Elijah. He's coming in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So basically he's doing the same work. Exactly. And so when the Bible says about the coming of Elijah, John the Baptist was a partial fulfillment of that. However, if you go over to the Gospel of John, and in John chapter 1, I think it is. Let me see if I can find this one real quick. Uh, John chapter 1 and verse 21. They asked him, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. They asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And he says, like, no, I'm not. But he was someone in the spirit and power of Elijah. So the prophecy of Malachi applies to a movement at the end of time in conflict with the great harlot that is in conflict with the great harlot. Okay, here's a question for you, Mon. Mm. Uh, When Elijah turned up to confront Jezebel, where had he been previous to that? When he turned up to confront Jezebel, didn't he confront her a couple of times? Um, the major confrontation took place on Mount Carmel. Before that, he confronted Ahab. Yeah. But when he comes, when he turns up to confront her, you know, and and her, you know, nine hundred prophets and so forth yeah, yeah, on yeah. Mount Carmel. Like, yeah, the whole thing. Where had he been? Um, not by the book Cherith. Oh, he is by the book Cherith. He was well. Yeah, okay, I thought that was let me, after. Let me clarify this. Okay, go on. Let me clarify this. He starts off by the book Brook Cherith. Yeah. And then he goes to the widow um, in uh, up north in um, Tyre and Sidon in that area. But after the after the confrontation, doesn't he run back out to the wilderness? He does, yeah, yeah he yeah, goes yeah, back yeah. to the wilderness. Okay, but let's summarise what we have so far. Oh, by the way, mm. how long was he hiding in the wilderness before he confronts? Oh, I have no idea. 40 days, stab in the dark? All right, let me take you to the book of James. Oh, James tells us. James tells us. Let me go here. James, James, James. Where did James go? James chapter... Where is it? Five. I'm thinking it's five. James chapter five and verse 17. Says, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Three and a half years. Wow. Mom, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How many days are there in three and a half years? Oh, goodness. Dude, I haven't got my calculator in front of me. Like a thousand? 1,260. What? 1,260 days. Oh, is, wow. anything, is anything starting That's to connect incredible. here yet? That's incredible. Okay, so I want you to watch this. You see, the churches in the wilderness during the reign of Jezebel, during the Dark Ages, the Bible says... For 1260 years, and at the end of that, Elijah turns up to confront Jezebel. Wow. Okay. Okay. This is, this is, this is super cool right here when you connect all of these dots together. Now, the 1260 day prophecy is found in seven different places in the Bible. Okay. And it's all about God's church. Now, Elijah goes through two stages. One, by the brook Cherith, and then staying with the widow. And so Elijah improves. The church in Jezebel's time improves halfway through as well because they're in the wilderness, but then you have the Reformation of the 16th century, and now it's getting better. But 
you have this confrontation with Elijah that takes place after that 1260-year period, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk more Yeah, promise about me we're that. going to continue this tomorrow because this is he just He comes out of the wilderness, stuff. he exposes Baal, he's in conflict with the great harlot, he restores the law of God, and then Elijah, cop this, after confronting Jezebel, where does Elijah go? He goes up to heaven. Without ever dying. Ooh. So, the movement, the coming of Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah at the end of time will go back to heaven heaven without actually seeing death that's really cool i'm desperately looking forward to getting back to that but we do have a caller on the line lyle someone's going to take a stab at the quiz who have we got on the phone this morning hello welcome to the show hello um hey um oh who's that ezekiel hi ezekiel how are you good yeah, Ezekiel, how old are you? Because you don't sound very old at all. Um, nine and a half. Oh, nine and a half. Got to get that half yeah, in. That half important. is important. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Ezekiel, are you telling me that you have an answer for the quiz this morning? Yes. Who do you think, it, what book do you think it is? Philemon. <gasps> you are so clever. You are correct. Well done, Ezekiel. Congratulations. You have won a wonderful copy of Sons and Daughters of God, Ezekiel. I think you'll really like that. You'll have to get your mum and your dad to read that book to you every night before you go to sleep. You're really going to love it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you have a wonderful day. It's still school holidays for you, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, I wish it was still holidays for me too. Have a wonderful day, Ezekiel. Bye. Bye. Oh, I love it when the kids call. I love having little kids who are excellent Bible students. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well done and congratulations to Ezekiel for calling and what a great Bible name he has right there. And if any of the kids are listening, always feel free to call up and give a crack at our breakfast Bible quiz. We love giving our prizes away to the youngest of the young. Moving on with our show. When 
Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble. Fantastic food, fun, friends, and fellowship. Sure do. Then join us at the Philos Food Hub. For $5, you can receive a large food pack with free fruit and veggies thrown in, and a complimentary breakfast as well. Wow. Where? At the Adventist Church on Newcastle Road, Walls End, number 63. Is that the big, iconic A-frame church near the roundabout? Sure is, and it starts 10 a.m. every Thursday. Great. I'll see you there. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I like that you've got the wool over your eyes. Cause it suits me fine to know that you don't even realize. I like the way that you don't question anything. And I love the way that you go along. I've got you under my control And you, you don't even know You don't even know And I've got you under my control And you, you don't even know And you don't even know Just don't think about it Live life to the full It doesn't really matter What's really
Produce more entertaining things, keep our mind occupied When's the next storyline? Well, I can't wait to see what they'll think of next And oh, give me more of the games of Thrones Cause I like keeping up with the Joneses Don't really mind who was Moses And when's the next YouTube session? intentions for you and I don't want anyone else to be Lord of your life Lord of your life I want everything good for you I've tried to show you but people my Monday people make you afraid of me that's not what I'm like oh search for me and know me for yourself for yourself I'm a Welcome back, guys. That was Anna Beden with Wool Over Your Eyes here on Faith FM. As we continue with our breakfast show, we have come to question of the day time. What is our question of the day for us today, Mon? Uh, so it is a long question, and uh, and thankfully, you know, for once, we have a question asker who doesn't want to be anonymous, which is just um, wonderful. So this question uh, has come in actually from just around the corner from here, actually out your way, Lyle. So let me just switch my camera on so I can videotape this just in case our asker misses the show today. So this is from Pat in Greeter. The Bible indicates that Jesus was only known to Abraham and Moses and the others of the Old Testament as the Deliverer. No one talks of him as God. And Jesus himself says in John twenty seventeen, My father is greater than I am. Doesn't this prove he isn't God, just the firstborn of God? Okay, this is a really good question. So why don't we go back to Abraham and why don't we start there? Because I think that's uh, as good a place as anywhere to start. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, and the Lord, and that's um, Lord spelt with all capitals, so that's Jehovah, and Jehovah appeared unto him, Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, as, and he sat in the door of the tent in the heat of the day. So here is a situation where the Bible speaks about the Lord, about Jehovah, Yahweh, appearing to Abraham in the heat of the day. And he's turned up with two angels. And we know the story well because part of this story is what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Now, as a part of that story, you have Abraham at one point is having a conversation with the Lord, uh, Jehovah, uh, L-O-R-D, capitals right here, so Yahweh. And as he's having this conversation with Jehovah, uh, they're, they're more or less talking about, you know, they're, they're looking down over the valley and it's like, you know, there's 50 righteous people there. Will you spare it? Yes. What about 40? Yes. You know, what about 30? And he stops at 10. So they have this bargaining uh, backwards and forwards. And in verse 33, the Bible says that uh, the Lord or Jehovah went his way as soon as he'd left communing with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. And then it goes on to say this, and I want you to catch this. Then the Lord, this is once again, this is Yahweh or Jehovah. So let's use the word Jehovah here. Then Jehovah rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Jehovah out of heaven. Once you notice there that there are two individuals here that are both named Jehovah. You have the one that is here on earth that has been having a conversation with Abraham and he is the one who rains fire and brimstone from heaven onto Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says from the Jehovah that is in heaven. So both Jesus and the Father are called Jehovah. In fact, the Bible says that the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit all have one name. Just one name. Now we know that that is Yahweh or Jehovah in the Bible. So if we go over to uh, Matthew here very quickly, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew, whoops, where's Matthew gone? Matthew chapter 28. And here's what you're going to find. The Bible says, um, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular. Notice they all have one name, the name of the Father. Well, what is the name of the Father? We know what the name of the Father is. Um, that is Yahweh or Jehovah and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They all set, share the one name, singular. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, let's go over here very quickly. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Um, and we'll illustrate this again in verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, the Bible says, Now Jehovah is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of Jehovah is, there is liberty. And so the Holy Spirit shares this same name as well. Now, this is not something that we should be surprised at because this is actually a principle you find right throughout the Bible. You find it in many, many different places. Um, and I'll just share one other, um, if we've got time here. Oh, we don't have time. I've got so much more I could share on this one. But, uh, okay, so we'll, we'll take a little bit more here. Let's go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And let's find out who is the Bible speaking about over here. Isaiah 9 and verse 6, my producer's given me some extra time, so that's pretty awesome. Isaiah 9 and verse 6, where the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Obviously Jesus. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. So here you have Jesus. What does the, Jesus call, what does the Bible call Jesus? The Bible calls Jesus God. In fact, he is the mighty God. Now, you might quibble over mighty versus almighty, but that's not really going to solve your problem because you have two people who are both called God. You have Jesus and the Father, both very clearly God. And just in case you are wondering about the uh, the mighty versus almighty, if you go over to Revelation chapter 1, 
Revelation chapter 1. Let's read about Jesus over here. And in Revelation chapter 1, you're going to find that Jesus is called him which was, is, and is to come, as is the Father. But we're going to focus on the one about Jesus right now. Uh, in verse 7 and and 8 the Bible says Behold he comes with clouds Every eye shall see him Those also which pierced him All kindreds of the earth shall well Because of him even so Amen I am Alpha and Omega The beginning and the ending says The Lord which is Which was and which is to come The Almighty And then of course in verse 11 The Bible says that the Alpha and the Omega Is Jesus Christ The Almighty God, the Almighty Lord, the Almighty Jehovah. Many passages that we could look at here. We are out of time. Uh, one quick comment on uh, on that passage in John 20 and verse 17 where Jesus says, The Father is greater than I am. Clearly this is the case. Because when Jesus was here on this earth, Jesus came to this earth as a man. He came to this earth, he took the form of a baby. And the incarnation, he lays aside, voluntarily lays aside his divine power to live as a human being here on this earth. If he is living as a human being, then it is very, very clear that the Father is going to be greater than him in his humanity. We are out of time. Give us a call if you have a question. 1-800-FAITH-FM.
was Carly Thatcher with In the Name of Jesus. We have come to the end of the show and we have an outstanding book to give away that goes, I think, very well with our question of the day today. It is called... Bothersome and Disturbing Bible Passages by Louis Torres. Really fantastic book. Definitely get the hold of this. It goes through many, 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 many Bible verses in the Bible, of course, uh, that might be a little bit disturbing and confusing or you're just unsure about or that might sound contradictory. So, yeah, great book. Uh, uh, it's a soft cover. Uh, only got one. Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Be the first person through. We'll send it out to you for free. Absolutely. And we love it when people dig into the Bible and particularly come up with challenging questions. So if you have some challenging questions to send us here, don't forget, give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number or text us on 0491-064-669 or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, any YouTube. of our YouTube, mm-hmm. any of our social medias, you can contact us there. Send your question of the day through. We will put it up for question of the day and we will find a Bible answer if there is a Bible answer to that question. And also the same contact details can be used if you are interested in learning more about the Bible and want to do Bible studies one-on-one group setting online. We can hook you up left, right and center with that anywhere in Australia. Stay tuned. We've got more programming. We'll be back tomorrow morning after the 7 o'clock news. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair, Tells me of my guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me Behold Him there, the risen Lamb My perfect spotless righteousness Great unchangeable I am The King of glory and of grace One with Himself I cannot die My soul is purchased by His blood My life is hid with Christ on high With Christ my Savior and my Is hid with Christ on high, 
with Christ my Savior and my God.